this morning, and uh, we are midway through the letter, and this is God's word to you today. Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, that is, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. To the measure of the stature, the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. It's our practice here at Redeemer to spend some moments in silence. And what I want you to ask God to reveal to you uh, as we spend those moments in silence through this passage is uh, what is it that you are doing in a church? Why are you here and how does God want to use you? Ready? Let's spend some moments in silence and ask that together. Father, we enter into this sacred territory of your eternal word. And there is um, your peace to be found, your unity to experience. And through the spirit that you've given us, your Holy Spirit, um, you have united us so that the circumstances 
and the felt realities that dominate our lives here aren't the truest thing about us. Um, You have called your church, the the called out ones from all eternity, uh, to remember what it is that we're called to, how we are to walk in this world, how we are to be in and among each other, and what we are to do. And so, Father, would you show us that today, uh, individually and collectively as your body? In Christ's name, amen. So, uh, very simply put, what Paul says is the most true thing of you, if you are a Christian, is that you are in Christ. That's where he locates a human being all the time. So, you know, we say today, if, if you're a Christian, you say, yeah, I'm a Christian. I converted to Christianity. Paul, Paul would use the language of locating you inside Christ so that when God sees you, he sees Jesus and that can never, ever change. And so the beginning of how we process that is that we begin to refer to one another as saints. You know, Eugene Peterson talks about he gets up in the morning and just to remember this, he says in the mirror, St. Eugene, um, to remember who he is in Christ. And Paul has it for the first three chapters in this entire letter. He hasn't given one single command. All he's been doing is expounding what it means that we are in Christ and now we are saints called before all eternity. The only command he's given us is to remember what Christ has done. Now, in the next three chapters, he switches the language from the indicative who you are to the imperative. And he does that a lot in his letters. And what he's going to be exploring is what it looks like to be a Christian. This is what you practically do. And this is a a sermon very much directed and geared towards Christians. And so if you're not a Christian here today and you want to know what it means to be a Christian in terms of how how it plays itself out, this is what Paul is exploring uh, in in this passage. But I do want to emphasize before we jump in, uh, this order is just so it's vastly important. Uh, Christianity always starts with who you are before it tells you to do anything. So I've said this before, but Christianity is the opposite of the Frank Sinatra song, Dooby Dooby Doo, right? It's be, do, be, do, be, do, okay? But we are going to look at the do part today, all right? So having set that foundation that God loves you, Before you did anything, and that's going to have to go with you to your deathbed, that when you stand before God, what you do isn't how you are right with God, but you're right with God because of what Jesus did. Having set that foundation, uh, what are our lives supposed to look like? What is the first rule of the Christian life? And what are your spiritual gifts and what are they for? Okay. So point one, what's the first rule of the Christian life? First one, what does it look like to walk worthily of the calling to which you have been called? What does it look like, like we talked about a few weeks ago, to grow up into that jersey that has Jesus Christ on the back? The first thing that Paul mentions is to be unified with other Christians. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? That's the very first thing he mentions. And he starts to list what... 
what that entails. You're, you're a part of one body. He lists seven things in verses 4 and 5. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father. And this is not the only church that he starts here with. You know, we talked about this at the beginning of the year in 2021 in January. We need to hear it again. I need to hear it again. That this is the most important thing that we need to be thinking about right now to stay unified. So you would think in churches that, like, let's say, struggle with incest within the church, struggle to believe in the resurrection, struggle to not faction off, struggle to not treat poor people bad, that there would be more urgent issues to address. But Paul does in in the church at Corinth, as well as the church in Ephesus, he says the, the first thing. The most important thing that I want to tell you is to be eager, use a lot of energy to maintain the unity of the bond of peace. Now, I wonder, not just with the church in the West, not just with the church in the United States, but maybe our church. uh, What do you think our church needs most of all right now? Jesus. Amen, Donnery. I wonder what you would say is the most important thing that we are to be about for one another and for the city of Lincoln. I don't think Paul is talking about having church unity rallies. I don't even think he's talking about that we should dissolve our denominational lines and that we all become theologically the same. I think what he's saying, and I'm speaking directly to Christians right now, that when you see other Christians... Your immediate thought should not be, I wonder how we're different, or I wonder how I'm better than them. But your immediate thought should be, those are my brothers and sisters, that we are eternally united, saints, called out before all eternity together. And Paul said, that's how we ought to treat one another. And Paul tells us, What what that looks like, the manner in which you walk that out, in which it gets lived out, is that you bear with one another in love. Bearing is hard. With patience. What is is patience? Sarah Sarah teaches our children because they don't know what patience is. Patience is waiting your turn without whining. Gentleness. And with all humility. If you've been in the church long, long at all, you know this. Uh, Jesus, Jesus gathers to himself, simply put, people that we would not have chosen to gather ourselves. But when a diverse group of people gathers together for the sake of serving one another, that's what Paul says humanity was made for. Verse 12, to be equipped as saints to do the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ in the world. That's our purpose. That's our design as human beings. It does mean something, you guys, when you walk into a room of people that believe in the same God that you believe in and your immediate thought and people can feel this. Your immediate thought is, how can I serve them? Not how am I different or how am I better? This is what uh, so many have said about our particular church as they come in. I've heard it now for four years, probably over 150 times. People will say that walking to Redeemer, there's something about the place that feels so warm and inviting. And I'm so glad to be here. That thing that they feel, the vibe, 
is what I would call the gospel at work in and through y'all, in and through us. And that must be kept and protected. And I'm going to give you a negative example of how we can fail to do that. Um, When I was in seminary, I was three years deep into my Greek studies, and man, I had it down. I liked Greek. I still like Greek, not as much as I did back then. But what I thought I would do is that I would bring my Greek New Testament, and Greek was the original language that the New Testament was written. I thought I would bring my Greek New Testament when I heard somebody preach. Um, And so I went to a church that I wasn't really um, used to going to. I've kind of visited a church. And I sat there. I remember the pastor was preaching from Matthew with uh, the devil's temptation of Jesus. And the whole sermon, I was looking at my Greek text and critiquing everything he said about it constantly. I was focused continually during a worship service at how wrong that person was as they were preaching. I was not sitting under the preaching of the word thinking about what God might be telling me through this person. And what Paul is saying, as he's talking to these Jewish and Greek Christians who had massive differences about most things, is that when pride gets a hold of you, what what happens is that you become so prone to to alienating and and judging one another. And Paul is saying it, it is possible to have strong convictions about theology to have strong convictions about what you think the scriptures teach, to differ with somebody and still love them dearly, have a warm heart towards them. And whatever tradition they're from, Paul seems to think that this is like a super important thing. And if you don't do it, pride's gotten a hold of you and there's nothing more lethal to walking worthily of the calling than pride. So what are some things that you can look for in yourself to see if this is at play for in good or bad ways? Well, um, when you see, let's say, for instance, you see a yard sign of somebody who claims to be a faithful Christian and you disagree with that yard sign, is your first feeling one of disgust? When you see somebody who claims to be a Christian, posts something on social media, and you think, how could they believe in a loving God and post that? How could they believe in a truthful God and post that? And you begin to ignore that person and judge them. Paul says that when you are moving towards those in the church with patience, humility, and love, despite your differences... You are living into the reality of Christ. And that's the first sign of maturity that you can tolerate. This is the good tolerance. You can tolerate difference while staying united. Maturity and unity go hand in hand. This is why, y'all, this is why COVID has been such a challenge. Uh, It became very easy to silo ourselves off into people whom we mostly agree with. We were meant to have diverse opinions and personalities present at all times. And the reason why is because we need the rough edges knocked off of my sinful and warped personality. You need me. I need you. We all need each other. This is the first thing 
to do if you believe in God. You associate with others who do. You live with them. You honor them. You say, these are my people. And you might be at a place in your life right now that saying that just seems really embarrassing. It may not give you a good name with uh, your secular friends who are not only a lot smarter than all the Christians that you know, but they're actually more moral people. (laughs) They do better things than most of the Christians that you know. Uh, And remember, Paul is probably writing this, dictating this letter, probably chained to a Roman guard, locked to a person. That's how they got locked up back in in the day. And I think what we've forgotten uh, in... In terms of our calling as the church in the world is that our calling in in this life is is going to be one that places us in direct line with humility. What it means to be humble is to be near the dust of the ground. To be under people. Uh, The writer Endo in the book Silence, the Christ character in that book says it was to be trampled under the feet of men that I came into this world. If that is the way of Christ and he is our head directing the whole body, what happens when we elevate ourselves over one another is that it's literally going against the body. We are at our best when we aren't overly conscious of our differences or our particularities in the same way that like your hand doesn't demand attention from your leg, but it is governed and controlled by the brain, both. Now, the challenge today is that, um, you know, if one part of your body's hurting, it kind of affects the whole, the whole thing, right? Stu Kearns, another pastor here uh, in town at Zion, he said, COVID has made everybody feel like they're all sunburned. And so even the, the most normal things can, can hurt because everyone is hurting. And so that's why passages like this are even more important, that we need to be even more gentle and more careful and more compassionate because of the season that we're in. And Paul's been saying, look, I, I am a, I'm a prisoner because I have been associating with Gentile Christians. Therefore, be eager to maintain the bond of peace. If you can't figure out, if we can't figure out how to stay together on earth, what makes you think we would desire heaven? To be called and to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Those seven things that you see in verses three and six are eternal realities about the church. And the way it displays itself out in our community is if you see people being humble, gentle, patient, bearing with one another, that's required in a Christian's character precisely because it's super challenging to associate with the ones that Jesus does. But remember, Jesus associated with you. Jesus put his name in the pot with you. He got our shame on him. God loved us so much that he let us trample on the face of the Son of God. So what does that mean for us today? It means that it's always good to speak and to seek to be friends with someone that you differ with because the moment you do, the moment you do, you're getting a very small thimble taste of what it must be like for Jesus to associate with you. I sat by a... um, 
police officer on the way down to Savannah a couple of weeks ago. He was a narcotics officer from Savannah, and he said that fentanyl is a huge problem nationally right now where um, fentanyl gets laced with, with meth or cocaine, and it's so lethal that you can touch fentanyl and it gets into the bloodstream and can immediately kill you. And he says it's, it's bad uh, down in Savannah as well as, well as other places um, in the United States. Here's what, here's what I want to tell you. Um, that's what humility can do to an entire system of pride. Here's what I mean. You may have even sensed this in your marriage or in your closer relationships. If one person is willing, if one person is willing to be trampled on without retaliating, it destroys pride. A humble person has nothing to lose because they're on the ground. The gospel truly is the fentanyl to the disunity that we feel inside and outside the church. Because Jesus said, here's the first rule of being in my family. Here's how you stay united. Uh, Always remember, Jesus says to you, I had to be killed for you to get in. That's how you enter. That's what your baptism points to. The blood of Christ is poured out. That's what this table points to. Jesus had to be killed for us to get in. And if that's true, if that goes down to the center of a person, what begins to happen is that the lowest and most forgotten things and tasks and services become the first things that we sign up for. That the hardest things become a great privilege for you to get to practice in and among the church. So secondly, you might ask, okay, well, where do I fit in within this great body? And that's a very natural question as we think about the diversity within the unity that many commentators have observed here in our next section, uh, verses 7 through 13. And here's what I I want us to think about. This is practical as I put it. I can put it. Um, What are your gifts and what are they for? Very, very important as we think about the future of Redeemer and electing officers and what it means to be a part of this community coming out of uh, COVID as we continue to come out of COVID. Um, But look look at verses 7 through 10, and I want to describe to you Paul's logic. Uh, Christ, who had every right to demand things from people, actually gives grace away. It's in Christ's nature to give. And the church is the main recipient of his gracious gift. And so when he came down and descended into earth, he conquered sin and defeated the devil. And then he rose again and ascended back to heaven where he's from. And then instead of receiving gifts from men, like we learn in Psalm 68, he gives gifts away. Specifically directed gifts that are directed at the church. And these, these uh, gifts are certain types of offices within the, the first century that would be used as the very foundation of the church throughout the ages. In verse 11 and 12, apostles were people who had had face-to-face contact with the risen Jesus. Prophets had uh, herald, you know, were, words spoken to the people about who God was. Evangelists were the heralds of the new king in town, that is Jesus. Shepherds were in and among the people being pastoral and teachers expounded God's word. 
These are the gifts that Jesus gives to his people before he goes back to heaven. Now, that list is not exhaustive, nor is it prescriptive, but it's very helpful as we think about the personal and collective part we play in the story of Christ. Now, what do I mean? Um, God doesn't make all of us the same. And he empowers each of us with different callings for the purpose of building other people up. That you come alongside somebody and you build them up by serving them. Think about a film. Uh, many people are involved in the production of a film. You got the director, you got the actors. They all have one goal in mind to make a, possibly an, an excellent movie. And when everyone is doing their job, a great movie can be made. The church's goal through serving one another is to, in verse 13, attain the unity of faith and of the knowledge of Jesus Christ so that we become his body in the world, filling up the world with the gospel so that the, this epic film, you know what you've been cast for. When you see this as your role. Now, what part might you be playing? You know, you may be like super new to the church or you may have been in the church for 40 years. Um, and God wants to use you at all times throughout each stage of, of your life. So what might be uh, the ways in which you have come into a community to serve in I want you to pay careful attention as you ask the question, well, what, what are my gifts? Because the first question is not, what am I good at? That's not necessarily where you start. Um, the question is, what is God calling me towards? This is the, the difference between, there's a difference between talents and callings. And you might be, for instance, one of the best public speakers in the world, but God's not calling you to preach or teach and you might want to always be in the background. I talked with somebody at Sunday school about like that's easier. Uh, but God may be calling you into a more noticeable leadership role. So how do you know what your spiritual gifts are? Two, two things. You have to have a felt internal desire towards something. Towards a particular person, towards a particular service within the church. Um, a felt call that God wants you to move towards a particular area. And two, you have to have an external call, specifically the leadership of the church saying, yes, you need to go towards that. You need to move towards that. You have to have both to understand what your gifts are and how to best serve the church in your particular season of life. Now, the moment you start to serve is the moment you begin to understand yourself and how you fit into that larger body of Christ. For instance, uh, it's possible that one of the reasons that you may not feel connected to a group of Christians or the church right now, um, the reason why you don't necessarily feel the desire to participate in worship is because you're not serving in some, some capacity. You've sort, of, you've sort of stepped back. It's amazing what happens internally in us when we actually begin to serve. You start to care about it. You start to uh, own the group. And you, you want to know how it's going to unfold. Because when you're serving the body, uh, it becomes a part of you. And you become a part of it. 
which is right in line with our first point about unity. So, for instance, uh, walking into a church or a group of Christians and wondering what it can give you, demanding that it meet your specific needs in a very particular way, is the opposite of what Paul's talking about here. He said that's like a, a child being tossed to and fro. But you're moving towards maturity when you start taking ownership with all of its flaws. Just like, you, you know, you may have certain parts of your body uh, that you don't really like. <laughs> um, but you, you don't just put up with your body, but you nourish it. You care for it because it's a part of you. And in the act of serving the, the church, people can observe you and actually give you an external call. Um, that's vastly important that if you allow yourself to be used by the church, you're going to feel more connected to people than if you were to spend like a thousand hours online. Because this is what you're made for. So um, here's, here's why this is a hard, hard conversation. It's just so easy to curate our lives today. I mean, we literally, we, we can delete anything that we don't want out of our lives. That's why it's hard to walk into a local church because there's no delete button on like tangible people. And on top of that, the, the church is so unique right now because it may be the, the one place in, in the world where you have old people and babies and men and women who are trying to keep their marriage from crumbling and children who are trying not to hate their parents and sometimes homeless people and all sorts of others underneath the spectrum of humanity right here together intentionally <laughs> like y'all came here you could have done anything else with this hour and you're here why because you're looking for Jesus and you can find it in one another. You're looking for resurrection. And you find it in one another as you extend it to one another. Through union. The mystic sweet communion that the church has throughout the age. Maybe for the only hour in the week. Here. You go to something that's about God first. Other second. And you as a part of that other. And it's the most acquired taste in the world. I don't know if you've ever had this experience. I certainly have. But you get up on Sunday morning and you're like, man, I am not. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. Um, I don't want to interact. I don't, I don't want to do anything. I want to eat this bagel. I want to go play about whatever, you know. I want to go watch birds, anything. Um, and then for whatever reason, call it the Holy Spirit or call it a whiff in the air, you decide to go. How do you feel afterwards? I remember I was friends with this really cool guy in Texas. He played in a bar or played in a band, owned a bar. <laughs> um, and he went uh, to night church and he would sometimes play music. And he said, almost every Sunday, I'm like, I don't, I just, I don't want to go. And I, I always force myself to go. And at the end of every service, he says, I'm always so glad. 
I'm always like, man, I, I, I'm glad I, I did that. And, and the reason why a, a human being feels like that when they're in the presence of other worshipers of God is because you are drinking cold water to a dehydrated soul because you were meant to be directed at God and to pour that out on other people. And it's like, this is, this is what it means to be a human being. I was made for this. This is how you do the Christian life. You worship with, together with one another. You force yourself to worship with other Christians. Don't focus too much on your feelings. But just go and be ready to serve. Especially when it feels difficult to drag yourself to worship. Look, you know, this is who God is. He's in control. He's going to call you to do things that are hard. And here's my word to you today. If you're tired of being tossed to and fro with your emotions, with your mood, with your feelings. uh, If you don't know what to think about God and his church most of the time, if you don't feel connected to the people in the church, could it be? That you aren't allowing yourself to be used. And that's why it's so difficult. That you are demanding things from the body that it was never meant to give. That's the wrong kind of difficult. This is the right kind of difficult. When you go to church and you talk to that person. It's like talking to a wall. And you're like, are you there? You know, like, but you're, you're trying. You're trying and then you walk away and you pray. And you think, God, please use that. I don't know what that was, but be with that person. Um, that's the right kind of difficult. That you, you believe that God's at work in stuff like that. You are made for the service of others and for the building of the body of Christ. That's what your gifts are for. You are not to sit back and let professionals do everything. That's the opposite of what this passage is saying in verse 12. The pastors and teachers are to be used to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And if you're like, I don't know what to do. No one's told me what to do. Pray. That's what Paul's been doing leading up to this passage. He's been praying that the church would understand the mystery that they're saints and that they are unified forever and that they would come into the knowledge of how much God, in fact, loves them and that they would live out of the honor of that calling in the world. Write a thank you note to someone today. Pray for somebody every day this week. Here's uh, one of the main ways that we can grow in verses 15 and, and 16. You begin to speak the truth in love. What does it mean to be both loving and truthful? Uh, you know this through, through Jesus. This is how Jesus is with us. He neither disregards our sin nor judges us for it. He says, what you, what you did hurt me very badly. It's like you're trampling on my face, and yet he still moves towards us. Like that end of quote, he's looking up, and, and it's the eyes that we've always wanted. The eyes that we've longed to see. And if you start doing this with people, if you start being Jesus' presence in people's lives, it'll freak them out. In a good way. Because what most people do is that they fudge the truth and then we slowly move away. But Christianity says, no, you tell people the truth and then you stay. And you love. 
This is Christ to you. This is his body. This is how we experience what it means to be called out and to walk worthy of the calling to which we have been called. Wouldn't it be great to have a community like that? I know where you can find one. Through the church, not only will you find out who you are, but you will realize your gifts, uh, which are meant for the larger body, that you're part of this grand epic narrative of the whole cosmos. We are made for service, and we find this by staying unified and by being used for the sake of the other. Let's pray, and then we'll continue in worship. Father, we thank you so much for your church. We thank you for the saints in and among us today. And we ask that we would address one another, especially at this table, as those Love because you first loved us. We want to love.